Lord Jesus, you are the King of glory. And we thank you for having come to be among us, to live among us, to be our brother, our Savior, our Lord, our God, our Redeemer. Lord, we believe. We believe that you came. We believe that you are here, that you keep coming to save us, to be with us, to reconcile us with the Father and with one another, with ourselves. We pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come upon us here this morning. We ask you to open our ears, the ears of our hearts. We ask you to help us trust in your mercy, in your goodness and kindness, so we can open our hearts to you to experience your healing touch by your grace. We ask you to sanctify our imaginations this morning so that we can imagine, so that we can see with that interior eye your gaze, your movements, your tenderness, your sacrifice. We ask you to enlighten our conscience so we can hear your words, so that we can know your thoughts. We pray that you would renew our minds and heal our hearts and flame our hearts with your love and your presence. Mother Mary, we crown you the queen of our time together here this morning as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll just read here what the priest reads at the beginning of Palm Sunday. Dear brothers and sisters, since the beginning of Lent until now, we have prepared our hearts by penance and charitable works. Today we gather together to herald with the whole church the beginning of the celebration of our Lord's Paschal mystery, that is to say, of his passion and resurrection. For it was to accomplish this mystery that he entered his own city of Jerusalem. Therefore, with all faith and devotion, let us commemorate, remember with commemorate, the Lord's entry into the city for our salvation, following in his footsteps, so that being made by his grace partakers of the cross, we may have a share also in his resurrection and in his life. Amen. Amen. So that is indeed our prayer. Lord, help us to enter into the mystery with you, not by ourselves. God doesn't want us to do anything by ourselves. He became one of us precisely so that he could do everything with you. He wanted to do everything with you. You. 
and he, lo- he loves to do things for you as well. That's for sure. But we call him Emmanuel. That's how he was introduced by the prophets hundreds of years before his birth, that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And he is God with you. God with you. And so as we try to enter into what he did for us, we recognize then how indeed uh, he continues to do that. It's not just something that happened in the past. But what he did, he did once and for all, for all people, for all time. So he reconciled everything and everyone in all time in himself. So that includes you. The whole point of this today is really to enter into it more personally. Because let's face it, sometimes when you go to Mass, especially if you have kids, or it doesn't matter if you have kids, other people there have kids, and it can all be pretty distracting at times, right? So there are great graces, though, to be had. And that's why we're taking the time to to reflect and and to ask that we can at least start to get a, a taste of all that God is offering us. Here's another little prayer at the beginning of that Palm Sunday Mass. Increase the faith of those who place their hope in you, O God, and graciously hear the prayers of those who call on you, that we who today hold high these branches to hail Christ in his triumph may bear fruit for you by good works accomplished in him who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. So let's, let's look at that. That first reading before the procession starts is helping us to remember Christ's triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. So this year it's taken from Luke 19. If you're taking notes, if you want to go back, Luke 19, 28 to 40. Jesus proceeded on his journey up to Jerusalem. Why do they always say up to Jerusalem? Because of the altitude. So even if they're traveling south from Galilee to Jerusalem, they always say up just a little. You know, it helps you to picture it. Jerusalem is a city on a hill. So that's why they always say up to Jerusalem. As he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. He said, go into the village opposite you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tethered on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone should ask you, why are you untying it? You will answer, the master has need of it. So those who had been sent went off and found everything just as he had told them. So Jesus prophesied what was going to happen. It's just a nice little thing to remember that Jesus used this prophetic, prophetic gift of his in his ministry. And we read about it. The master has need of it. So they brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks over the colt and helped Jesus to mount. As he rode along, the people were spreading their cloaks on the road. And now as he was approaching the slope of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to praise God aloud with joy. 
for all the mighty deeds they had seen. Right? So they're praising the Lord. Just try to imagine that. They proclaimed, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It echoes what the angels sang at his birth. Remember that? Glory to God in the highest. When we pray the Gloria Thursday night, well, this Sunday we'll pray it. Thursday night we pray it. And then not again until Easter Sunday, but glory to God in the highest. So it's like, the liturgy and Christ's life, right? He's bringing it all full circle. I was born to song of to the song of glory, and now I'm entering into my my triumphant uh, passion and resurrection with glory. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, rebuke your disciples." He said in reply, "I tell you, if they keep silent, the stones will cry out." Right. So this is a good argument for people who like praise and worship music, right? <laughs> this gospel passage, right? Like people, imagine, just imagine it right now. What, they were throwing down their cloaks. I mean, they were standing and waving their palm branches and singing out. And why? Why were they doing all of that? For all the mighty deeds they had seen. They couldn't contain themselves. They couldn't contain themselves. It's a natural reaction, right? This kind of praise and worship is a natural reaction. It's like when your favorite team scores a touchdown, right? It's a natural reaction to stand up and cheer, right? But somehow we've, we've put God in a box and we think, oh, we shouldn't, you know, get too excited about Jesus, you know? So anyway, I won't stand on my <laughs> soapbox but I'm just saying, if it helps you, right, put it into context, here it is, right? This is the context for praise and worship. Honestly, this is the context of it. They couldn't contain themselves. And what was Jesus' response? <laughs> if they shut up, the very stones are going to cry out. Right? So anyway. So then we read the whole Passion this year, which I'm not going to do now. But we read Luke's version, uh, or well, at least, the, okay, so this is the entrance, Luke's entrance. And then, let's read the opening prayer. Once everyone arrives to their place, if it's the solemn entrance. Almighty, ever-living God, who has an example of humility for the human race to follow, caused our Savior to take flesh and submit to the cross. <laughs> Graciously grant that we may heed his lesson of patient suffering and so merit a share in his resurrection who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. So the fact that he's riding on a donkey says something. It says that he's coming as the prince of peace. He's not coming to make war the way that most people were imagining it to be. He was coming to destroy the works of the devil, so he was coming to fight a spiritual battle. But he was not coming as some political messiah. He was not coming to wipe out the Romans. 
like many of those Jews were probably hoping for. But look at what the church offers us for an opening prayer. We pray to the Father. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but the, the opening prayer of Mass is always Trinitarian, right? We're always addressing it, Almighty, ever-living God, Father. So we're addressing it to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. It's just a nice little thing to help you be a little more aware at the beginning of Mass. That opening collect, they call it. The opening prayer, it's always a Trinitarian type prayer. Almost always addressed to the Father. Not always, like on the Feast of Christ the King or Sacred Heart. There's a few where the prayer might be addressed to Jesus. But then it's always in the unity. You know, it's always then with the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, who as an example of humility for the human race to follow, caused our Savior to take flesh and submit to the cross. Again, from womb to tomb, from the crib to the cross, Jesus humbled himself to become one of us in all things except sin. But he willingly embraced our painful predicament, you could say. He came to accompany us in our sufferings. So, I know many of you heard growing up, offer it up. My mom even texted it to me this morning. I'll just offer it up. She burned her thumb. She burned her thumb. And she didn't want to tell me right away. But then she told me this morning and she sent me a picture and she's got a nice big blister on her thumb. She's like, I'll just offer it up. You know, which, in, in, you know, it, it's obviously it's valuable. It's good. But it's, it's not that God just wants us to offer it up but he actually wants to suffer it with us. I don't know if Jesus ever experienced, you know, a burnt thumb or not, but certainly he was, you know, beaten to a pulp on Good Friday and he suffered all kinds of wounds. So the point of that, you know, what he went through, what he submitted to, right, caused our Savior to take flesh and submit to the cross. Submit. Right? Under the mission of. Mit is missio. To be sent on mission. Right? Remember the ite missae est. It is sent. That was the, that's the end of the Mass in Latin. Ita missae est. Deo gratias. Right? Misa is not Mass in Latin. It actually means sent. So when we say submit, if I submit to something or someone, I come under their mission, their intention. So Christ submitted to the cross, God's eternal plan to redeem us through the cross. He submitted to that. That was God's will. Graciously grant that we may heed his lesson, his lesson of patient suffering which is a little redundant, right? Because as you've heard me say before, patience comes from patio to suffer, to suffer. So patience literally means, you know, to suffer, one who suffers. That's why Paul said love is patient. Love knows how to suffer. And if we do that, you know, if we embrace, if we submit to the Lord humbly, faithfully, hopefully, hopefully, 
right? Because it's not a it's not a hopeless kind of submission. It's not some kind of abusive submission. Christ is not interested in you know forcing us to do this because he freely embraced it. He humbled himself and he embraced it out of love for you and for me because he wanted to be there. He wanted to be with you and he wanted to be with us in all things. In all things. Even our sin, even though he didn't sin, as Paul says, he who did not know sin became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. How? Through him. Right? He who did not know sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God through him. Through him. I think that's 1 Corinthians 5.20. But Jesus is not ashamed of you or anything that you've done or anything that has happened to you. He's not ashamed of it. You might be ashamed of it. That's, you know, unfortunately, that's one of the things that we all fall into. But he's not ashamed of it. He's not ashamed of you. But rather, he wanted, out of love, out of compassion, to suffer with, out of pity, out of misericordia. Misericordia is the Latin word for mercy. So what misery, right? <laughs> Cordia, heart. So one who has the heart for somebody else's misery. That's what it means to be merciful. Somebody who has a heart for somebody else's misery. And I'm moved by that misery of somebody else. I'm drawn to it, and I want to be with them in their misery. That's Christ's mercy. That's his merciful heart. So when we, when we praise and glorify his mercy and his merciful heart, we're saying, thank you, Jesus, for having the heart to enter into our misery. And, and then how does the prayer end? And so merit a share in his resurrection. We can't get stuck at the cross. We can't get stuck in the misery. We can't get stuck in the shame. At least God doesn't want us to get stuck there. That's why he rose from the dead. <laughs> Amen. He rose from the dead to give us new life, to give us hope, to give us eternal life, to transform our lowly flesh and our sins into something glorious. And if you recall, even in his glorified body, he decided to keep his wounds. He still has the wounds in his hands and his side and his feet. He still has his wounds. Guys brag about their wounds, right? Women try to cover them up, but guys brag about their battle scars, you know? So Jesus, being a man, you know, wanted to brag about his battle scars, right? His love, <laughs> his love scars, right? His love scars, if you will. But he went to battle for us. And, and he wanted to just have that, not because they couldn't be healed, because it's his glorified body. 
but I think he wanted to show how even our wounds can be glorified. Our wounds can be glorified. Let's, let's declare that together. Repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I declare that my wounds can be glorified. So whether it's been something that's happened to me or something that I've done, it can be transformed and it can be glorified by the grace of God, through the mercy of God. So it's hopeful. I, I think as we, as we go through Holy Week, it should be a, a great week of hope and transformation, glory, because it ends with this glorious resurrection. Here's the preface. I know sometimes the preface, it happens so fast, but it's so rich, so beautiful. So this is at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer. After the gifts have been offered, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. And then it's the typical, it is truly right and just. Our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For, though innocent... He suffered willingly for sinners and accepted, he submitted unto unjust condemnation. Why? To save the guilty. That's all of us. <laughs> his death has washed away our sins and his resurrection has purchased our justification. What does it mean to be justified? To be made right with. If I'm justified, that means I'm made right with God. How? By Jesus, right? That's whole. So whenever you read Paul and justification, Paul, Paul is always trying to communicate, hey, look, it's not the law. It's not your works that justify you. It's good that you do good works because you should be inspired by God to do good works. But those don't justify you. Those Good works don't make you right with God. What makes you right with God? God makes you right with God. His death and his resurrection is what makes you right with God. Right? I mean, for some of us, that's a real kind of reprogramming. Right? That we think we have to do something in order to be right with God. We don't. We can't. Only God can do that. Pray after communion. Nourished with these sacred gifts, we humbly beseech you, O Lord, that just as through the death of your Son you have brought us to hope for what we believe, so by his resurrection you may lead us to where you call. Where's our calling? As Paul would say, life on high in Jesus Christ. That's our calling. Life on high in Jesus Christ. Life in the Spirit. That's our calling. Holiness. Holiness is our calling. Holiness, which is to say wholeness, which is to say healing. God continuing to heal us. Right? We should be brought face to face with our own sins, but we should also be brought face to face with the great hope of healing and restoration and transformation and glorification. So let's not get fixated. You know, 
you don't live a really good holy week by beating your breast all week and say, oh, what a poor sinner I am. Right? Without praising and glorifying his resurrection and, and transformation and glory. So it's, 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 it's a balance. It's, it's, it's both. It's the classic Catholic both and. <laughs> both and. Not either or. Right? When you see somebody trumpeting one thing with all their might, be leery. <laughs> right? They're probably a little obsessed with something, and that's never a good thing to be obsessed with one side of the story. Right? We gotta have balance, wholeness, harmony. And then the prayer over the people. For Palm Sunday, look, we pray, O Lord, on this your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ did not hesitate to be delivered into the hands of the wicked and submit to the agony of the cross, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. He didn't hesitate to be delivered into the hands of the wicked and submit to the agony of the cross. Why did he not hesitate? Because as Paul says, he was always looking ahead to the glory of the resurrection. It was really painful, yes. It was absolutely really painful. But as he was carrying that cross, I mean, the way, the way Mel Gibson portrayed it was just classic, beautiful. Yeah, I'm sure you all remember when he falls with the cross and then Mary, you know, who had been, you know, doing her best to just try to get in front of him. And then Mary throws herself down on the ground right next to Jesus, who had been, you know, who, who fell under the weight of the cross. He's looking, he's like, I make all things new. Like, little do they know, they're falling into my trap. <laughs> now, I mean, it's easy to say post-resurrection, right? I mean, again, it was very painful. It was awful. Yeah, it was it was terrible. But he knew all along what he was doing. Don't don't be mistaken about that, right? He knew. And out of love for you, and out of love for me, he's like, I'm going through with it. I'm gonna do this. So I know some of you have walked the streets of Jerusalem. I've been blessed to walk them at four different times. And as you pray the stations this week and, and, and next, like you can think and reflect and, and, and use your imagination. And you can connect with Jesus because you know, it's all out of time, right? Whatever Jesus did in time is also out of time and for all time. So again, it was for us and for you and for me. So I love to reflect. You know, I, I can still in my mind right now, I can, I can picture the third station of the cross in Jerusalem. I, I can picture the corner. It's now at an intersection. <laughs> I mean, it's very tiny streets, right? You're, you're really not allowed to take cars in there. It's all, it's all foot traffic and carts and things like that. It's a very busy marketplace, actually. So there it is, third station, Jesus falls, 
for the first time. So I can kind of, you know, imagine that in my mind, in my imagination. And I can connect with Jesus. And I can ask him, what were you thinking? You know, what were you feeling? And, and he responds, I had you, my dear sister, my dear daughter, I had you on my mind. I saw your face. I knew your name. I saw your face. And out of love for you, I got up. I got up from that first fall. And I kept going. Hmm, really? For me? Yes, for you. For you. I would have done it just for you. If you were the only person. If you were the only person I had to do this for, I, I would have done it gladly. And as I like to say, Jesus died for you because he couldn't imagine living without you. He couldn't imagine living without you. That's a beautiful thing. And so then in that moment, Holy Spirit come, right, and just communicate to me the love and the heart of the Savior in that moment. Communicate to me the love of the heart of my Savior in that moment. And you might all have your favorite, I mean, there's, there, I mean, every station, is, you know, there's just amazing richness at all these different stations. When he meets Mary, when he meets Veronica, you know, as a woman, you can probably really appreciate Veronica again, fighting through the crowd, full of compassion, who knows what Jesus did for her or, or for her family. You can imagine that if you want. Maybe Jesus healed her of something or healed, if she's married, her husband or a child. Who knows, but you can kind of just let the Holy Spirit. But there was probably some connection there. There had probably been some connection. And then again, out of gratitude, she was moved to go and, and wipe his face. And Jesus rewarded her by leaving his image. So I think there's a, also a beautiful lesson in that for all of us, right? Just think about that. So whenever I'm moved with compassion to go to somebody, whether I know them or not, but if I feel moved with compassion... As Jesus said, whatever you did, whatever you do, for one of the least of these, my brothers or sisters, you do it for me. And so then the question is, well, what kind of impression does, does Jesus then leave on your heart, on your veil, if you will? It's a beautiful thing to think about and to pray about and to be aware of. That, that no good deed goes without its reward. I know we have another expression, a common expression, right? But that's not in the gospel, right? That's not from God's perspective. That every good deed, even a cup of cold water, Jesus says, will not go without its reward. It will be celebrated. So in other words, it makes an impression. Every act of love makes an impression on the one that you love 
but also there's something there that God gives us in return, an affirmation, a participation in his love because we can't give what we haven't first received. So again, Jesus probably did something for her. And then, as I like to call it, the dynamic of God's dynamic love. God did something for her. She recognized it. She appreciated it. She was filled. She was filled up with his love. And then she was able to to pay it forward. To pay it forward and, and, and to love him in return. And so love made an impression on her. And she was then in turn able to go and make an impression. And again, Jesus wouldn't be outdone in generosity. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little souvenir here to help you remember. So... And I think... What we're doing here today, the beauty and the wisdom of slowing down for just a a few minutes. Because you all do so many things every day for other people. But, But when it's done in a rather hurried way, it's hard to relish those moments. And that's why it's good to pause every day even if it's for 15 minutes. Sacred story prayer, advertisement, commercial, right? For those of you who are doing sacred story prayer, but the the wisdom of pausing every day, and if you can pause a couple times a day, especially at the end of the day, even better. Why? To relish. To relish the love, the grace, the beauty, the truth of all the different encounters that you've had and how God has blessed you and how God has blessed others through you and with you and how you've been able to participate in that dynamic of God's dynamic love, right? That was God's eternal plan for us, that we would live and participate in his eternal exchange of love. That's what John Paul, that's how John Paul II described the Trinity, an eternal exchange of love. So love is not static. Love is dynamic. That's why I like to call it the dynamic of God's dynamic love because God created us to participate in that. And when we were lost, what did he do? The father sent the son to find us and to do what? Bring us back into that exchange of love that is theirs. And then what do they do with us? They send us out in the power of the spirit to find other lost sheep to do what? To bring them back into that eternal exchange of love. And then what does God ask them to do? Go out in the power of the Spirit and find other lost sheep. And it's just, right? That's the dynamic of God's dynamic love. By virtue of your baptism, you're in it. Whether you realize it or not, you're in it. You were inserted into it. You were grafted into it, you could say. So by pausing every day... You call to mind that reality. So again, it kind of helps those of you who are doing 
an examination, or not an examination, but an examine prayer, the sacred story prayer, it's not to nitpick, right? It's not the point, right? The point is to do this, right? To become aware, to live a life aware of God and of love and mercy and blessing and grace, to be aware, to relish it. Because as you relish it, what do you say to yourself? Well, I want more of that. I want more of that. I don't want more of the hustle and bustle. I don't want more of of the exhaustion and frustration. I don't want more of that. But I want to slow it down. I want to slow it down. You know, and to make a relation, you know, this is a guy example, but you can think of it for your boys and your husbands and whatever, right? But like, the best athletes in the world, you know, they, they talk about how they get better and better. The game, quote unquote, does what? It slows down. Like they get faster and faster, but everything else around them, they see it better than anybody else on the field. The stars, the superstars, right? They see it before anybody else see, sees it. They feel it before anybody else feels it. And they move before anybody else moves. They know where to move and how to move. And they can anticipate where the ball is going to go and where the other guys are going to go. It all slows down. Life for the saints is like that. As you become more and more like Jesus, life just kind of slows down around you. And even though there's a storm, right? Think of Jesus on the boat. He was sleeping. Talk about slowing down. Jesus was sleeping. And everybody else is like, oh, what are we going to do? What's going to happen to us? They're all frantic. Notice what is going on around you today in the world. How frantic and freaked out everybody is. Right? Don't do that. Don't do that. Right? That is not helpful at all. Don't freak out, right? Look at Jesus in the boat. He was asleep. Just go to sleep, right? <laughs> Just pray, right? Just love, right? Jesus was never frantic and freaking out, right? Oh, but oh my, here, are you ready for this? This, this is good, here, this is good. Are you ready for this? This is the first reading then for Palm Sunday, from Isaiah chapter 50. The Lord God has given me a well-trained tongue. Zip it. <laughs> right? Just shut up. Right? That I might know how to speak to the weary a word that will rouse them. Not that it'll make them freak out. How often do you just project your stuff on everybody else? Did you hear that? <laughs> Did you hear? No. Did you know? No. Well, you need to know. Why do I need to know? Well, because you need to know. Isn't that what people do all the time? They do it all the time. 
Morning after, so we laugh because it's so silly, but it's true, right? You wouldn't laugh if it wasn't true. It's true, and that's why it's so silly, right? Morning after morning, he opens my ear that I may hear, that I may listen. And I've not rebelled, have not turned my back. So, I mean, if you're not going to prayer, if you're not going to listen, you're going to be freaking out. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard, my face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. Mm. Okay, here's the, the punchline. The Lord God is my help. Therefore, I am not disgraced. So they can say and they can do whatever they want to me. That doesn't define me. That's what this is saying. And here's, this is my favorite, one of my favorite lines in all of scripture. I have set my face like flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. Mic drop. <laughs> right? I have set my face like flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. They can say and they can do whatever they want but the Lord God is my help. He is my rock and my salvation. He defines me. He is my savior. And I know, as he told Jeremiah, as he says to us, I have a future and a hope for you. I have a future and a hope for you. It may not come in this life, but you can be absolutely sure it's coming in the life to come. Right? So again, we have to kind of stay grounded as Christians. This is not the world we're living for, sisters. This is not the world we're living for. We're living for heaven, right? Our eternal home. Now, that's not to say we don't care about this home, this earth, this world. Of course we do. But the reality is that this side of heaven we're in, we're in a battle. It's true. We're in a battle. So God, help me to set my face like flint. It's not to say it doesn't hurt, right? When they, when they you know, when they beat you and, and they pluck your beard and they, you know, punch you in the cheeks, right? I mean, that hurts. So again, it's not to say it doesn't hurt or that we don't care But we know that there's something more. We know that there's something more. And so we don't have to be afraid. And we don't have to be disgraced. So...